Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. All right, so I'm going to be in multiple places uh, this morning. And, uh, and so I, it, it almost would be better for us if you're a note taker because we're going to be turning to a lot of different places. And I want you to take notes because I want you to have some opportunities to go back and study uh, throughout the week. I never want you just to hear what I say. I want you to hear what Jesus says. I want you to hear what the Spirit says as well. So I, I'm not, I don't want to say don't take my word for it, but in many cases, don't just be taught. Learn from the Spirit and, and model out what He impresses upon you. So, so we've been talking about discipleship, and, and this is something that's really been on my heart because I have recognized, a, I think, a significant issue in my own uh, biblical worldview of discipleship. I have focused my entire ministry on being a disciple and what discipleship is and, and what a disciple looks like and, and all of those sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is it's about one step short of what God has called us to. What God has actually called us to is to make disciples, not just be disciples. In fact, what I find throughout the scripture is that if you are a disciple, you are making disciples because if you're a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is a disciple maker. So if you're becoming like Jesus, you're making disciples. But this is the significant breakdown that I believe that the Lord has taught me is that most Christians today do not have, now listen, I want you to hear this in all of its weight. We do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with Jesus' teachings. And so we are a disciple of the teachings of Jesus. We do the things that Jesus taught, but we're not living out the life of Jesus. We're not disciples of Jesus because if we were, making disciples would come naturally. And by the way, did you know that as you are making disciples, you are becoming a disciple? And so you can't be a disciple of Jesus and not make disciples. And the Bible makes a really clear distinction from that too. He talks about disciples. He also talks about followers. And he also talks about believers. There are many people who follow Jesus and many of them believed. And some of them doubted. And so we know that it's possible to have a mental acuity of who Jesus is and to love the teachings of Jesus. But when he starts getting into the, you know, take up your cross and follow me and deny yourselves and serve the least of these, those teachings, no, those are, those are, you know, those are 401 level classes and I'm not interested in that. What level can I enter in where I can, I just want to go to heaven. That's really all I want. I just want to go to heaven. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that level exists. I don't think the level exists. I think there's an entry point, but that entry point should continue to propel us to Christ-likeness. So there's three things that I want us to understand that, that that I'm convinced that Jesus has given us some of these we have overlooked. Not intentionally, of course. But Jesus gave us his message. Jesus showed us his methods. And Jesus gave us a model. Now, it's really easy for us as we start going through the scriptures to focus on one of these to neglect of the others. And so when we focus on the message of Jesus, but not the process of Jesus, 
I think sometimes we can't fully understand the message. We don't understand the why. We don't understand the who. We don't understand the context of the process. If we don't understand the harmony of Jesus's teaching and if we don't understand the chronology of Jesus's life, there's a whole lot of these things that we might miss. So when we, when we focus on Jesus's message, we fail to see the importance of his methods or by which the message was delivered without recognizing the pattern that Jesus modeled. And you've heard some of this, but again, this is really kind of, kind of uh, DNA shifts in our thinking. And so I'm, I'm not apologetic in having to restate some of these things, maybe even a few, a few times. So a, a quick glance at Jesus's message, and I'm gonna just state it really quickly. This is the life of Jesus. We know that Jesus created John chapter one, Colossians chapter one, not one thing was ever made that wasn't made by Jesus. We know this scripture is not uh, contradictory anywhere. There leaves no room for doubt that Jesus is the creator. Not only is he the creator, but he's also the sustainer. He became a man so that he could die for man. And by his blood and his blood alone, he redeems and he sanctifies and he reestablishes a relationship with God and his creation. He has come to establish his kingdom beginning now on earth. And it's a kingdom that is distinguishable by his character and by his presence priorities, that there is hope for the hopeless, that there is now light in the darkness, that there is rest for the weary, and that there is healing for those that are sick in their bodies, in their souls, and in their spirit alike. And the cross of Jesus Christ marks the satisfaction of the dead of sin that whosoever will may come to him and have a relationship with the Father. That's in essence the gospel story. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel means the good news. So this is good news, but the good news is so much bigger than just the cross. The good news begins at the cross because it is absolute, concrete, bloody proof that Jesus has paid our sin debt and has opened the door for a relationship with him. But listen, this is the best news. The best news is that not only is our sin atoned for and we can have a relationship with God, but the best news is that God is for us and he's the one that established all of this. That's the best news. If you ask me, define the gospel, here is the gospel. God is for you and he proves it through the life of Jesus. And once you believe that God is for you, you begin to turn that knowledge that God is for us and in many ways that he is for us and we begin to, we begin to give that away to every relationship around us. So we take a very quick glance at the method of Jesus. Jesus had an absolute commitment to relational ministry. Do you hear that? I want, I want, to, I want to debunk a whole lot of lack of discipleship right now. Don't raise your hand, okay? How many of you would say, well, I just don't like to be around people? Well, that excuse has got to go out the door if you're going to walk like Jesus because what Jesus says, he's got an absolute commitment to relations, to relationships. Uh, Jesus also manifested an, an investment in few people. He, didn't, he didn't, honestly didn't try to change the world. He tried to establish his life in a few. He had a, commitment of a priority of prayer. He had a profound love of sinners. And he had a, and I'm working on this, a strategic balance of effort. Now, what I mean by that is Jesus perfectly 
simply was able to demonstrate a winning of the lost, a building of believers, and an equipping of the workers. This was, this was paramount to Jesus' ministry. Jesus did seek and save the lost, but Jesus was also establishing uh, believers and the way that they should live and the character and attributes that they should have. Not only that, but he equipped those around him to do the work of the ministry and he would send them off to accomplish the task. And Jesus was able to live in this balance where I think many of us struggle. And so we put ourselves in compartments. We say, well, those are the evangelists, they'll do that. Or those are the church workers, they'll do that. Or those are the, and we start making excuses as to why we're not involved. But to walk like Jesus is to learn how to depend upon the Spirit to balance our life in such a way that we don't minister to one to the neglect of another. In John in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, maybe that's the first place we start. I want you to hear what Jesus actually said. A disciple, and by the way, we, I shared this in our discipleship group this week. You talk about the attributes of a student. You know, what do you look for in a good student? What does a student must be in order to be a good student? And the word student in Greek is exactly the same word as the word disciple. So if disciple, if you feel like disciple is up here over your head, just that's okay, just substitute student there. So a student is not above his teacher. And all the teacher said, amen. All right. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is what? Are you there? Luke 640? But everyone, when he is fully trained, your microphone must be off. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like who? His teacher. So how do I know when I'm fully trained? When I'm going to heaven? No, 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 no. Heaven, that's, the, that's like the, the first step in the door. From, from the moment of, yes, Jesus, I believe that your blood atones for me. I want a relationship with God. That's the first step in the door that empowers me. I say yes to that. I'm gifted with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And now I'm working on being fully trained. This is very important for us because he says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So there's a whole lot of folks who can look like the teachings of Jesus. Well, I don't cuss, I don't smoke, I don't sleep around, I don't, I don't there's a whole lot of things I don't do. In fact, if you look at my morals and compare them to Jesus' morals, that's what a Christian ought to be. But what Jesus says is this. It's one thing to look like the teaching. It's another thing to look like the teacher. Let me ask you, who is your favorite teacher? The one who taught you the most stuff or the one who saw value in you, who talked to you, who put their arm around you and said, I care. Those are the teachers we remember, right? Those are the teachers we learn from the best, right? That's what Jesus does. He's the teacher. And Jesus says here, when you are fully trained, you'll do what I do. You'll look like me. You'll think like me. You'll act like me. He doesn't say when you are fully knowledgeable or when you are fully taught. He says when you are fully trained, which means there's work to do after we say yes to heaven. So why is the model so important? It's so important because the biblical mandate is to imitate Jesus himself. Not to check off the lists of things that we believe or don't believe or do or don't do. 
It's to imitate Jesus. He says to live is Christ. We live like Jesus. We love like Jesus. It's what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. He also, we serve like Jesus. He says the greatest is the servant. In fact, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Jesus said, pray like this. He, he's pray like Jesus. He said, take up your cross and follow me. We sacrifice like Jesus. Paul even says in Philippians that we are to think like Jesus. Do you see the imitation of Jesus in every area and every priority of our life? It's not to just do what Jesus did. It's to do it the way Jesus did it. It's, it's so obvious. So I've just honestly focused on discipleship instead of focusing on disciple-making-ship. I don't know if that's a thing. Making disciples who make disciples. Making disciples who make disciples. And And the pattern is clearly laid out in the Gospels. In fact, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, if you're taking notes, write this one down. It'd be a great one to memorize. Listen to this. Whoever says or whoever claims is the original word. Whoever claims that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you claim that you love him, if you claim that you abide in him, you should look like him. How many times have we read what Paul said? If you want to know what's a Colossians or a 1 Corinthians, uh, he says, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, watch me. The arrogance of Paul. I don't know he and I could be friends anyway. He's very intense. But I just think about the arrogance that would say, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, watch me. That's actually what Jesus told Paul to be able to say. I wonder, I want you just to ask yourself about, even at home, the safest place you know. Is that true at home? Is that true even in your own persona, your own identity? No, most of us sometimes from time to time wonder if we're even really saved or not. We struggle with our identity in Christ. We struggle with who we are. We struggle if God truly loves us. We struggle with those sorts of things. How could Christians actually think this? or this? So we spend all of our time, listen, we spend all of our time focused on our sin rather than focusing on our calling. And I'm telling you, if you spend all of your time focusing on your sin, you're going to have an identity problem. You're going to have an I'm not enough problem. By the way, that's exactly what Satan would have you do, is to have you tripping over your sin the rest of your life. Well, I ain't talked to anybody. If you knew what I did, God, I'm not even sure God loves me, or I couldn't share my faith, or I, I can't bring anybody joy. I can't encourage anybody. My life's a wreck. My relationships are a wreck. Who am I? Well, it's because we focus on all that stuff. But if we focus on the grace of God, then it's the grace of God we can give away. If you go back to the harmony, we're going to do this over maybe a couple of weeks, but if you go back and you look at the chronology of Jesus' life, I think you would see that each year in their development as disciples had different platitudes or different expectations, all right? So there's a discernible progress worth noting in the lives of these that he chose, who the Father chose. And you take Peter, for example. Man, right out of the gate, Peter is a loudmouth. 
all right? He, is, uh, he thinks he knows a whole lot more than he does. He thinks he speaks for the crowd. He rarely does. So Peter is a good illustration of, well, me. Maybe even many of us. I want some company. Uh, so, but what we begin to see is, is how Peter begins to morph. Peter begins to morph throughout the Gospels. In every, every situation, he grows more and more. So that the point, when, Jesus gets, when, uh, when Peter gets to Acts chapter 2, it doesn't bother him at all to get in front of thousands of people and rebuke the, the religious leaders. That's what Jesus needed, was a strong, loud mouth with the personality of Jesus. Now, who else is going to say those things? It's this Jesus that you crucified. I mean, if Jesus knew exactly how to take a bumbling idiot and to be the very first missionary, he knew how to do that. And he did it in three years. Now, you take someone that Jesus is crafting and learn and teaching, and Peter is learning, and then you place the Holy Spirit inside of him, that's why you see Peter come to life at the, at the, in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, Jesus is reaching men like Matthew, who had a terrible reputation, and nobody liked tax collectors. Or, or you have men like uh, uh, Andrew, uh, you have men like, uh, goodness, Judas. Uh, I mean, you have, you have these guys who had terrible, terrible reputations. I'm talking about uh, the Simon the Zealot. And I mean, these, nobody liked these guys. And on days like the giving of the Holy Spirit, they're like, whew, we thought these guys were nobodies. Who in the world are these guys? It just, didn't, it just doesn't work out. It's not a matter of giftings. It was Jesus' intentionality. So here's the next set of notes that I want you to write, and I want you to evaluate becoming like Jesus by these three things. Jesus lived these three things every day of his life. Jesus was first relational. Jesus always had time for the person who was annoying. You think about Jesus' intention. He got up in the day and he said, here's all the things that I want to accomplish today. But Jesus was always able to be delayed because he was relational first. That drives me nuts, by the way, because I'm pretty focused. And up until recently, I thought that was a good trait. Now I realize that's getting in the way of disciple making. Relational. The second thing that Jesus is, is Jesus was intentional. Jesus understood that every moment was an opportunity. Every moment wasn't a distraction. Every moment, every person was an opportunity to remind them that God was for them. When you remind people of that, you're actually inviting them into a conversation. God is for me. Well, but you don't know. And people begin to talk about that stuff. Well, I'm not going to hijack my, that, that. I'm not going to get into that right now. The third thing that Jesus was is Jesus was missional. Jesus was always looking and listening for opportunities to declare the glory of God. And I know, you said, well, Jesus wasn't married. Jesus didn't have kids. Jesus didn't have a job. Jesus didn't, that's right. And I, think, and I think we need to figure out how to balance our lives so that we can have time for those priorities, but that God is not the one who keeps dropping down further and further. There is a way to incorporate 
those priorities with the priority. And that's, that's the hard part. That's why we're trying to do what we're doing is because we want you to be on mission and yet still value those priorities that you have relationally. So, so when Jesus, and, and we talked about this back earlier in the year, but, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna fast forward through a, a whole lot of these things, but uh, when, when, they, when they found Jesus in uh, John 1, <clears throat> and uh, John the Baptist actually was as the forerunner of Jesus, he had some disciples already. They were disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was teaching them the ways of John the Baptist. And he was pointing to the Messiah who was to come. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he points to him and says, hey, you should be following that guy. And they said, is he the one? Yeah, he's the one. They walked up to Jesus and said, you know, where, where are you staying? We, we're following you. Jesus said, well, come and see, right? We already know that. Come and see. Well, it's interesting to me that immediately these men understood the imitation of Jesus. Because the very next uh, time that we see these guys, it's Philip going to his friend Nathaniel and saying, Nathaniel, we think we found the Messiah. Where's he from? Well, he's from Nazareth. Pfft, nothing good could come from Nazareth. Well, he's the Messiah. You ought to hear the things he's talking about. Hey, well, where is he? And what did Philip say? Come and see. Yeah, inviting them onto the on-road. You think about the woman at the well, not very long after that. Jesus is teaching her, and he's sharing with her everything that she's ever done. Great conversation. And uh, she just is elated with this prophet who is sent from God, who has just spoken into her darkness life and reminded her that God is for her and seeking worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. She runs back into the village to get all of her friends. And Well, there weren't friends, but they knew her reputation. She was an exile. But when they saw her lit up with the gospel, they said, what in the world is wrong with you? She said, come and see, right? Come and see. I mean, it's this, it's this constant on, on ramp of, of getting the conversation started with people who are far from God, who are as forgotten that God is for them. That should be the first step for us is to have this come and see all the time. Come and see. When they look at Paul and they say, what is up with you about this Jesus thing? Come and see. Begins a relationship. So much of church work is about getting conversions getting checklists. We don't really care about people. We care about numbers. That's got to go away. We do care about people. We've always cared about people. But if we care about people, we become relational with people and they can't just matter if they come to our church. We've got to love people. We talked about that a few weeks ago with loving kindness, that committed agape type of love, the hesed type of love, loyal loving kindness. Well, surprisingly enough, when they began to come and see, it wasn't long, Matthew chapter 4, uh, when Jesus is uh, walking on uh, uh, near, near the water, he looks at these guys and he says to them, as a, they, they recognize him as a teacher, as a rabbi, and they say, and Jesus says to them, follow, follow me. And so now they're actually walking in his dust. They are literally walking with Jesus. They were hearing him teach. They were seeing how he reacts with people and how he engages people. And honestly, most of us, that's where we get comfortable in our walk with Jesus. Yes, I follow Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. I watch Jesus as he does these things. I watch Jesus as he answers prayer. I watch Jesus as he teaches me. I watch Jesus as he teaches others. I watch Jesus as... 
But 18 months later, believe it or not, if you read it in chronological, Mark chapter 1 is halfway into Jesus' ministry. And Jesus walks down to the, to, the, to the boats. These men are already following Jesus, but he says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. That word men means people, not just mankind. I mean, mankind, not just men. I will make you fishers of people. So this is the third layer of his invitation into now he's giving ministry away to them, right? The final answer that Jesus, or invitation that Jesus gives is at the very end of his life when he says to them, you are fully trained. This is John chapter 17. You are fully trained and now you are ready. Everything that the Father has taught me, I've taught you. Everything the Father told me to do, I've showed you how to do. Now you need to bear fruit, more fruit, much fruit. And then after his death, after his resurrection, and just at his ascension, when he is about to go up as our advocate, he looks at them and he says, everything I have been, I give you. The relationship that I have with the Father is now your relationship with the Father. The calling that the Father put on my life is the same calling that he puts on. I, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Make disciples. Fall in love with people. Be intentional about it. Remind that I'm for them. But do so in a way that they too will. See, if, if Peter, let's go back to Peter. If Peter is following the model of his teacher, then he will be just like his teacher. So do you want to know what Jesus looks like? He looks like Peter. So now everybody that Peter reaches, if they look like Peter, who do they also look like? Jesus. Everybody they reach looks like that guy, looks like Peter, looks like generation to generation to generation. That's what it looks like. And by the way, that stream of disciple making comes down right here to this room today. Now, we have had teachers. We have had mentors and models and disciple makers that didn't quite look like Jesus. I get all of that. But understand Jesus' method was not just to see people saved. It was to see their lives transformed so that they too could reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ. We can no longer excuse our deficiencies, our sin, our giftings. We can no longer say, well, I'm not good at that or I don't know enough or I don't. So what we have to do is to begin to focus on Jesus's method, right? Jesus's method. What was Jesus's method? Well, we've talked about that in brief. We're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks and break it down just a little bit more clearly. But here's what I want you to know. And very quickly, Jesus it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, but that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Jesus is God. But what did he say? And I love, I love what, what uh, Paul begins to teach us in Philippians chapter uh, 2, verses, really it's verses 4 through 7, when, when the Bible says that, that he being in the morphe, the nature of God, did not consider it Something to, be, uh, some kind of, something to be equal to being with God, but he made himself of 
no reputation. He emptied himself. He cloaked himself. He veiled himself, which means that he was in the morphe, the nature, the character of God, but he sat the character of God aside and he became a man. Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. We know that. We can even say that out loud, but I think in our minds, we have this idea that he shifts in and out. He glides in and out of his deity. When he wants to walk on water, he becomes God to, to kind of show off. When he wants to, to break fish and loaves, he, he puts on God again and he does that. When he's on the cross, he puts on God again. And he just kind of, when he wants to be a man, he becomes a man. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he cries, he gets tired, he takes naps. But when he's God, he's on the mountaintop rebuking Satan. But the truth of the matter is everything that Jesus did, Paul tells us that he set all of his deity aside. Every advantage to being God, Jesus being God, chose to set it aside. So any excuse that we would give ourselves for not making disciples because we're not God, Jesus actually shows us what it looks like to live as a man with every gift that God gives us already. The difference isn't, is Jesus a man? The difference is sinful nature. That's the biggest issue that I want us to understand. So when we say, well, what's the one thing that Jesus as a man is different from Blaine as a man? Blaine has a sin nature. Jesus doesn't. Which means from the very get-go, Jesus was able to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit to teach him the scriptures. He had the Holy Spirit to intercede for him when he would pray to the Father. These are significant things from the very beginning, even when he was under uh, growing in stature and measure and wisdom under his mom and dad. He still had this not sin nature. Well, guess what I was doing when I was 12? It wasn't the same thing Jesus was doing when he was 12 because I have a sin nature. What Jesus was doing at 18 wasn't the same thing I was doing at 18 because I have a sin nature and Jesus doesn't. It did give him an advantage. But let me tell you what happens. When Jesus, who lived perfectly as a man without a sin nature, remained committed to his cloaking, his deity, all the way to the cross. And he stayed loyal to that commitment because he knew what was at stake. He knew the joy that was set before him, which was that God is for people. He knew what that was. And he stayed loyal to his man, manhood. And he died that way and he settled our sin debt. And when he settled our sin debt and he rose again and he went to heaven, every benefit of his obedience, the Holy Spirit brought back with him. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, do you know what? Every advantage that Jesus had from not having a sin nature, every advantage he gave to every one of us to be able to spend time devoted to the scripture, to know that our identity is in God, to be able to have an active prayer life where the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, to be able to have a community and the giftings of the brotherhood. Everything that set Jesus apart in his humanity, he's given us now. So when you look at Jesus, the disciple maker, don't look at, well, he's God. Now, Jesus set all of that aside. You say, what about all of his miracles? There are a lot of people who did miracles in Scripture as God ordained to prove that they were from the Father. Jesus did these things to prove that he was the Messiah. What about all the other things, the miracles that Jesus did, the walking on water? Peter walked on water. 
These things aren't things that separate Jesus out to his deity. These are things that Jesus did because he was proving, the Father ordained him to be able to do those things so he could prove his Messiahship. Every, almost every miracle that Jesus does in his life, you see the apostles doing in theirs, including raising men from the dead. These are not things that point to Jesus' deity. The thing that points to Jesus' deity is his ability to set it aside so that he could atone for our sin and open the door for us. On, in John chapter 17, I believe it's in verse 4. In fact, I know that it is. I say that, but I know that it's in verse 4. He said this, everything that the Father has given him to accomplish, he has accomplished now that's significant because this is before the cross. Everything that Jesus gave, or everything that the Father gave him to accomplish, I've accomplished it for your glory, Father. And the glory that is in me, that from you may be in them. No, this is his high, his high priestly prayer. You say, what, what does that have to do with anything? Here, the thing that Jesus came to accomplish was to make disciples. Because this is the same context where he looks at them and he says, everything the Father has told me, I've told you. Everything the Father told me to do for you, I've done. Now you are fully trained and you are like me. Don't be afraid of that. Don't hide behind that anymore. Jesus has fully trained. The opportunity to be fully trained is there. The problem is we keep excusing our humanity. But Jesus is proof of what it looks like to be empowered by the Spirit and to make disciples. They say, what about the cross? I thought the cross was the central thing. The cross is the open door. If it weren't for the cross, there's no point in discipleship. So yes, the cross is pivotal. The cross is everything. The resurrection is everything. The ascension is everything. The coming of the Holy Spirit is everything. These things are everything, but they exist so that we could be empowered to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. I think when Paul is telling Timothy, everything that you've seen from me and everything that you've heard, you need to teach these to faithful men who will be able to in turn teach them to faithful men. It's this idea of disciples making disciples. So I want to be an encouragement to you. I know it's heavy and I know some of these things we've heard several times before, but I want us to understand while being in the same room together, what does it look like for me? And so I know so many of us that would say, well, I, you know, I've been to Bible studies. I know a whole lot about scripture, but I just, I'm not, God didn't call me to make disciples or, you know, I don't know any lost people or, I, you know, I'm not very good with relationships. There's a thousand, there's a thousand excuses, literally. And, and I'm telling you, Satan will bring you every one until you finally just say, no, it's me. It's me. It's my calling to be relational, to be intentional, to be missional. This is my calling to imitate Jesus, to walk as Jesus walked, to do what Jesus did, to be fully trained, to imitate Jesus in his life and his priorities and his character. There are no excuses. So in Jesus' last conversation before his arrest with his, uh, with his disciples, he's in the, the upper room, you know, Passover meal. And they are really, this is the last time they're wrestling with this. And six times in this passage of Scripture, Jesus tells them to ask the Father. Ask the Father. The Father will. The Father, if you just ask the Father. 
So here's what I want us to do in our closing couple of minutes. I want us just to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want us to be intentional right now in our praying. I know last week we prayed over someone that we may not, you know, may be in a relationship with. And we, I want us to continue that mindset of, being, of seeing people spiritually, not knowing that God is for them not knowing that their sin debt is satisfied, or even Christians who are content just waiting for heaven to come. No, those days have got to be over for us. We've got to be intentionally digging out territory to remind people the good news of Jesus Christ. So, I want us just to take a moment, bow our head, and just ask the Lord, Lord, I know that it's your calling on my life. I know it's my mission. Listen, I know you've got family. I know you've got jobs. I know you have responsibilities. But what if this was the responsibility that all of those other responsibilities exist for? I mean, if you're a plumber, maybe you're not a plumber. Maybe you're a disciple maker and your tool in your hand is to be able to come in and out of people's lives with a pipe wrench. Maybe you build homes. Now you're a, you're a disciple maker and you are equipped with the opportunity to be able to hear and to listen with the character and the nature of Jesus Christ to know how to bring the gospel into people's lives that you interact with. Life is about opportunities to come in and out of people's lives to build a relationship with them and to point to Jesus. But pastor, I don't even know how to get started. I've never, that is so awkward for me. I am terrible at it. Well, maybe. But I will also tell you, just like Peter, the more you do that, the more practice you have at anything, the better you will be. That's why we should be having these conversations in our homes with our kids, with our spouses, with our family, with our best friends. Because the more we talk about Jesus, the better at it we will be. But Jesus says he's going to keep bringing people into your lives. And I want us to be fully trained. I want us to be equipped unto every good work. And we want to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So would you just simply pray, Lord, I don't know what kind of disciple maker I will be. But if you will show me how, if you will make me sensitive, if you will open doors, I will have my ears and my eyes open and take advantage of them. Would you be willing to risk awkward if you knew it's what God wanted you to do? You say, Pastor, I'm not allowed to talk about that stuff at work. I understand some of that. And you may have to be sensitive. And you may have to be creative. But that's the part about being intentional. The goal isn't to be comfortable. The goal is to be missional. So just ask the Lord. And whatever you ask in Jesus' name, He will do. Because if you ask it in Jesus' name, it's according to Jesus' will. And his will is that you make disciples who make disciples. Don't let this be a standalone sermon that doesn't take root. I pray that you will begin to be sensitive. That the people that are in your life, that as you go, you don't have to move to Africa. You don't have to move to China. You don't have to move to some other foreign land unless God calls you to of course but what Jesus said is as you are already living the life that he has mapped out for you those people are already there
Remind them that God is for them. Listen to their brokenness. Listen to their heartache. Listen to their emptiness. Listen to their annoyance. Listen to their, to their noise. Listen to the evidence of bad decision-making year after year after year. Listen to their health issues. Listen to their relationship issues. And imitate Jesus. And remind them that God is for them. Have a word ready. Spend time with Jesus so that you can speak for him. And I know that he will lift you up. Let's pray together. Lord, as we bring this time to an end, I pray that you will continue to work and challenge us, Lord, to be more than just content with our waiting for you to return. I pray that you would use this church, Lord, as a pioneer. Lord, help us to carve out new territory as we become intentional about reaching our family and our friends and our neighbors and the world with the good news. I pray, Lord, as we've been studying for months about what it means to have our identity in you and be empowered by you and and all these things, and now it's all coming so real as we go into a troubled world of chaos and fear and anger and offense and brokenness and ruin, we have never had a more stark contrast in our hearts than what we see in the world. And so I pray that what is in us would come through us and we would stop being satisfied with what you're doing to us. But we begin to pray of how you want to move through us through our hands, through our feet, through our hearts, through our voice. So Lord, if you will show us how, if you'll continue to impress upon us the importance of that mission, we will say yes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.